Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Kate Bealey and Emma Ajimang, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle, and special guest David Little, Chief Executive of Online Investment Service Ipso Facto Investor. This week's Investors Chronicle is a special issue dedicated to investment trusts, a type of investment fund which is listed on the stock market like shares, and which make up a significant component of many private investors' portfolios. 2016 has been a tumultuous year for markets, and the investment trust sector has not escaped reaction. Perhaps one of the more troubling developments for investors over the last 10 months has been the number of dividend cuts, as this means that while UK equities were once a go-to area for income, they aren't the secure source they once were. But Kate, you've been looking at how UK equity income trusts are coping with this, and the picture doesn't seem so bad. Why is that? Well, that's because the the majority of investment trusts actually have dividend payouts which are quite well covered, both by earnings and by revenue. I was expecting maybe to see that some of their um, some of their dividends were looking kind of increasingly unsustainable, but that actually doesn't seem to be the case. They seem to be all right. Okay, that's some um, good news. But there's some other reasons why uh, investors and investors can have some confidence. Uh, what what are these? Um, well, I guess the the thing is with investment trusts is that they have three different ways of protecting their dividends. So they can either or they can build up revenue reserves and that allows them to store away um, some of their revenue for a rainy day so that if they kind of if their income is reduced, then they will be able to protect those dividends in the future. They can also cover it with earnings and now they can also cover from paying from capital. Okay, so drilling down to this, um, when you were looking at this, um, which UK equity income sector trusts have the best earnings cover? Um, so at the top of the pile is JPM Claverhouse, and that's a dividend covered 1.2 times by earnings, so that's very well protected. And diverse um, income is also well covered, 1.19. Perpetual income and growth and lowland are also well covered at 1.13 and 1.18. Um, but in fact, the majority of trusts are covered. They have last year's dividend covered 100% or more with their, with their last year's earnings. Okay. Um, now, you also mentioned that they have uh, revenue reserves. So um, which of uh, the trusts in UK equity income sector are the ones of the best reserves? Um, so JP Morgan Claverhouse is also quite good there. Again, 1.19. Um, Shire's income is also healthy, 1.19. And then Edinburgh Investment Trust and BlackRock Income and Growth are at the top of the pile as well. And those are just under one at 0.86 and 0.88. But again, the majority look quite well covered all or pretty much all over half and then right at the bottom of the pile you've got value and growth and Finsbury growth and income at 0.2 and 0.36 of the last year's dividend covered by reserves. Okay so this is all good in theory but when it actually comes down to making payouts which um, trusts have a good record of increasing their dividends? Um, well, some of them have incredibly good records. And so trusts like City of London, it's been 49 years of consistent dividend increases, which is obviously quite impressive. Um, JP Morgan Claverhouse, 43 years. And then Temple Bar and Murray Income as well have increased dividends for, well, Temple Bar, 32 years and Murray Income, 42. So it's obviously pretty consistent there. And particularly for those trusts with the higher yields, that's obviously very appealing. 
Uh, now, David, you've constructed a number of portfolios for income, including one of the Investors Chronicle Investment Trust Portfolios for Income, which is designed to make regular monthly payments. When choosing an investment trust for this purpose, how much importance do you place on its earnings cover and revenue reserve? Well, it's not the starting point, but it is, it is one of the important filters to check. There are a number of issues to consider as regards revenue and reserves. Yes, the cover certainly, so the relationship between the net revenue earnings per share and the dividend. Care sometimes needs to be taken where there has been a change of policy, for example, a move from twice yearly to quarterly dividends, which can distort the reported dividend. And that was the case, for example, with Temple Bar Investment Trust recently. So you need to concentrate on the dividend in respect of a period rather than that actually paid out and reported in the accounts. But there are also, are there any distortions in the revenue received, special dividends, for example? And how does this year's revenue account compare to last year? What is the level of expenses taken to capital? What interest rate is a trust paying? And what is the maturity of the debt? As regards reserves, a high level of reserves in relation to the dividend payout does give some comfort, but will also be a reflection of how long the trust has been going. The great thing about investment trusts is that they can retain up to 15% of their annual revenue earned. So managing the dividend is easier than for open-ended funds. Having said that, most boards dislike dipping into reserves because they, they don't want to be put in a position in the future where they might have to cut the dividend. But where it is useful is to get through exceptional circumstances, for example, where the fund manager wants to go much more defensive. Okay, um, so those are a number of things to analyse regard to the income. But are there any other attributes that you look for when choosing a trust for an income portfolio? Well, just to just to repeat and to emphasise, this particular portfolio was chosen to pay out a high but regular income each month. So there were some constraints from, from that point of view, although most trusts do pay out quarterly, so it's easier than it used to be. In general, we are looking for undervalued trusts, so income trusts which are out of favour, which are trading on a higher discount to net asset value than their peers or relative to their recent history, provided that we understand why they, why they are out of favour and why they might recover. So we're looking carefully at the underlying portfolios to study the asset allocation and see whether we like the investment holdings. Although we would tend to use UK equity income trusts as the foundation we're looking for different investment styles and then as much geographical and sectoral diversification as we think sensible. It's often a balance. It's, it's, it's both art and science putting together a portfolio. And sometimes you need to put in a high yielding trust so that you can get a lower yielding trust that you like to balance it. OK, um, now we've been talking about um, what you like and what you look for, but what don't you like to see? What would make you discount a potential income portfolio holding? Well, we try and avoid trusts that are too highly geared or where the portfolio is highly concentrated. We obviously don't like to see dividend cuts, but there may be times when these are acceptable if the portfolio is being reconfigured or, as is the case, for example, with the BlackRock Commodities Income Trust, where they are bowing to the inevitable in terms of the underlying holdings. But importantly, with this trust, it still provides a high attractive yield. We also avoid trusts that are too purely focused on income, on income return at the expense of capital, unless there are good asset allocation reasons for going there. Okay. Now, your Investors Chronicle Investment Trust portfolio um, comprises 10 trusts. Um, of these, which have been the most reliable over the last 12 months? 
Well, they've all uh, done pretty much what we expected in terms of income. Uh, for the year to 30th of September, the best total return, so that's capital plus uh, income earned and paid out, has come from Murray International and BlackRock Commodities. The biggest increase in dividend over the previous 12-month period came from London and St. Lawrence. OK. Now, looking ahead, um, which of your portfolio constituents do you expect to live with the best returns? Well, we do put it together as a portfolio rather than a collection of individual holdings, so it is difficult to pick out one particular investment. I also think this is a more than usually tricky period for picking out what is going to perform, particularly as regards the UK, because we just don't know what's going to happen to the UK economy. But if you really push me, after quite a long period of underperformance, although with a consistently rising dividend, I would hope my old friend Temple Bar would perform well. OK. Now, um, you started the portfolio last year. Have you made any changes to it? We are looking at uh, making some potential changes. Um, one's always trying to look at where we can bring in uh, investments with a slightly different um, exposure. So we're looking after property fell, we're looking at the FNC Commercial Property Trust. Mm. And we also like the look of John Lang Environmental partly because uh, it should have some inflation proofing and we may be entering a period where inflation becomes more of a problem again, although there is some political risk with this trust. Okay, interesting. Now, if you were to add some uh, new constituents, would you remove uh, one one or however many of the existing ones? Even if you didn't have something to add, what might be a reason for removing a trust from an income portfolio? Well, I think in this case, we're looking at cutting some of the exposure to trusts that have performed well um, and reducing the exposure to the Akinsia debt strategies. So really, in terms of removing a trust, the two opposite reasons, really, either if the investment has done very well and the yield has fallen well below market, then we would want to move on and find another opportunity. Or if something has gone wrong and we, we aren't getting the income we were expecting. Sometimes also we might be opportunistic around ex-dividend dates with a short-term tactical switch, although this is pretty rare. Okay, thank you, David. Now, Kate, Investors Chronicle um, has a second investment trust for income portfolio constructed by Simon Moore, head of research at consultancy Trust Research. Um, How has this portfolio been performing and what kind of yield does it offer? Um, So not been performing as well as David's. Uh, I'm sure he'll be pleased to note. Um, (laughs) Certainly. (laughs) Total return of 9.9% for the period we looked at. Um, It's different in that it has a very high allocation to one trust. So Edinburgh Investment Trust makes up 45% of this portfolio. Um, But then he does also have a greater number of trusts focused on overseas equities. So um, has trusts like JP Morgan, Global Emerging Markets Income, Henderson Far East Income and BlackRock Frontiers as well. Okay. now of uh, Simon's um, holdings, which has generated the most income? Um, So if you look at them all kind of on an equal basis, so I've I've looked at them all and assumed um, that you would put 10,000 in each just just for the purpose of comparison. Um, And SQN Asset Finance Income has actually generated the most at over £1,000 in dividends on that initial investment. Um, Henderson Far East Income has also thrown off quite a lot of income at £546. And Invesco Perpetual Enhanced Income done quite well too. 
Okay. Now, um, Simon's um, also been um, thinking about uh, changes as well. So uh, what are these? And well, mainly he's taken right down that allocation to Edinburgh Investment Trust and kind of spread things around so um, so it's a bit more evenly balanced. So um, it's taken that 45% weighting right down to 15% um, and then put a bit more in places like emerging markets, which he's beefed up from 5 to 10%. Henderson, Far East income, that's also up 5 to 10 um, And also put a bit more into BlackRock Frontiers, which he's put up from 2 to 5 um, I mean, interesting moves, uh, I guess, considering that um, emerging markets have obviously been doing very mm. well since the start of the year and Henderson Far East income, I guess, questions over how far that can keep running. Um, but it'd be interesting to see uh, what what difference that makes. OK, so he's basically taking profits then? Um, he's redistributing, yeah, taking profits and just redistributing so things are a bit more evenly balanced around the portfolio. OK, thank you, David and Kate. Some uh, useful information there for income investors. Now, while features such as the ability to pay dividends and investment performance are very important when choosing an investment trust, another key factor is the means and costs of acquiring it. Emma, you've been looking at this. So what are the main ways to acquire investment trusts? Um, So there are two main ways, Leonora. You can either go to a trust provider directly and join their investment trust savings scheme, and that will allow you to um, be able to you know, buy the trust that, that they run, and in some cases, all the trusts that they run. Or you can go to a broker or platform and purchase an investment trust that way. Okay. I'm sure many of our listeners will be familiar with using a broker or platform, but they might not be as uh, familiar with investment trust savings schemes. So Emma, why might you consider buying your investment trust via an investment trust savings scheme? The main reason is cost. These schemes are a lot cheaper to use if you A, want to make regular investments into a trust that you like or trust that you like, and B, you know, want to reinvest your dividends for free. So um, they're very good for doing that compared to a platform, for example, where you can expect to pay between eight and twelve pounds each time you buy or sell a trust. Um, some of these share schemes will only charge you to sell the trust, and unlike platforms, they won't charge any administration fees. So very good for people who are looking to build up a portfolio. Um, and they're also good for new investors who perhaps have less money to to start with um, to invest, as you can start investing from about £10. OK, so um, that's interesting. But um, if you were looking at the other route, what would be the um, main reason for buying investment trusts from a, a broker or a fund platform? Um, so, as I say, the main reason is is for people who already have a substantial portfolio of investments and want to manage their portfolio themselves. So, you know, platforms are very good for if you have different types of investments, as well as your investment trust, you might have ETFs or um, stocks or other sort of unit trust funds, that sort of thing. And platforms are very good for being able to keep track of all your investments in one place. So they're good for people who, who are in that situation. Um, they're also good if you want to make more complex decisions rather than just you know growing your pot. So, for example, if you want to draw down the income in retirement. Okay. Now, um, they sound like good arguments for both. Are there any downsides to either of these methods of buying investment trusts? Yes, um, you know, downsides with everything, unfortunately. So for share schemes, the main issue is that you're restricted to um, a particular trust or trust that the provider is able to offer. So you're not going to be able to buy the full listings of investment trusts available on the London Stock Exchange. You're going to just have to stick to the providers. Um, and if you've got a large pot, that might be something that you're not 
too keen about because um, that increases your risk. You know, you're putting your eggs in sort of one basket in that situation. So that's something to consider. Another issue with share schemes is that you don't get the tax breaks that you will do um, if you're going to invest on an ISA or a SIP within a platform. So that's also for something um, you need to be aware of. For platforms, the main issue compared to, the main sort of downside compared to share schemes is the cost. So um, if you are looking to build up a portfolio and you do want to reinvest um, dividends, platforms, um, many of them, you know, will charge you to do this and some don't offer um, dividend reinvestment at all. So that's one example where um, share schemes would make more sense. Okay, thank you, Emma. That's some some useful points. Now, David, what do you think? Do you think that investment trust saving schemes or fund platforms are the better way to buy investment trusts? Well, I think it's a very interesting question, um, as Emma has been talking about. And in fact, we're looking at this in some detail, and we we will be publishing the survey results on our website, particularly looking as well at the merits of different platforms for different sizes of investment. But as ever, there's not necessarily a a simple answer. If we look back 20 years or so, there were plenty of investment trust saving schemes which were sponsored by the investment trust house fund manager or individual trust. And these were usually pretty good value. And there weren't so many investment platforms then. The recent trend, however, has been for the investment trust fund managers, whether for cost control or specialisation issues, to give up any involvement in administration and either outsource or give up completely offering saving schemes. To my mind, this is a great shame because they were such good vehicles for the private investor to build up savings without incurring too much costs. But as far as I can see of the major investment trust houses, there are only five now that offer reasonable saving schemes. So these investment trust saving schemes generally do offer good value for investing small amounts, as Emma said, said, either regularly or in lump sums. But of course, you are tied into the trusts of the house that you have chosen. You don't have the same flexibility as you would with a platform. So it's going to be slightly horses for courses. The larger the size of your portfolio and the more active an investor you are, you're probably going to want to use a platform, certainly if you are constructing a portfolio. But if you're just starting out with a small amount of regular saving, although even here some of the platforms can be quite attractive for regular savers, but you may find a saving scheme more suitable. The most important thing is to find the trust or trust that best suits your investment objective and then find the most cost-effective way of investing in them. Okay, David, you mentioned um, that there were five houses that you thought had um, reasonable saving schemes. Which are they? Um, Well, um, I think um, we haven't completely completed our survey, so Mm. I may be uh, be being unfair to some houses, but but the the major houses Mm. that I've come across are Aberdeen, FNC, BlackRock and JP Morgan. And there's one other who I can't think of at the moment. OK, well, we'll um, wait to see the um, results of your survey to uh, find out the other details. Thank you, David. That brings us to the end of this week's show. So it just remains to thank Kate Bailey and Emma Ajumang, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle, and special guest David Little, Chief Executive of Online Investment Service, Ipso Facto Investor. You can read more about our Investment Trust Dividend Cover and Revenue Reserve Survey using trusts to build an income portfolio, the best ways to buy investment trusts and the other key issues affecting this kind of fund in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle on the website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. <laughs>